This month, our sermon series is the transfer of a godly heritage. Transfer of a godly heritage. We are blessed uh, here at New Harvest in Norwalk. We are fortunate through the um, sermon series that come across these pulpits. We hear just some awesome, awesome truths. We, we hear the word of God, uh, and I'm convinced that if whatever it is you might be going through, God has a, a message for you. You want to be a better husband or a better wife, God has a message for you. You want to be a better father or, or mother, you want to be a better uh, person uh, all around, God has a message for you. And it's often through these sermon series. We just had an awesome, awesome marriage weekend. Man, awesome. I, I'm still marinating in those juices of wisdom that Pastor Richard and Sister Nancy, Pastor Thomas, Sister Grace just uh, gave us during that marriage seminar. And, and, and man, I just to hear um, just all the experience and all the wisdom that was up here on the stage and, and, and what they were sharing with us, you can't put a price tag on that. And so my encouragement is to be here when, when those doors are open because you never know what God has in store for you. Our sermon series uh, scripture is found in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, is verse 5 through 9. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your home, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Pastor Sergio opened up talking about the influence of a parent and grandparent. Brother Matt spoke about the spoken word, the words of encouragement that we give to our children, the words that build up and the words that, that edify. And tonight I want to talk about godly training, subtitled, Guarding Them from Secular Worldviews Contrary to God's Word. That's, that's, a, that's a, quite a lot there. Pastor Tom, we were talking when he was here, and he says, what, what are you preaching on? And I told him, and he goes, man, that title, you got to shorten that down a little bit. But we are going to talk about training our children, training our children, biblically training our children in, in this day and age, and some of the issues that they're going to be facing. The most important thing that we can leave our children is a godly heritage, now, heritage and inheritance oftentimes are interchanged. You know, I inherited this uh, from my uh, mom or, or it's part of my heritage. And, and for the sake of tonight's sermon, uh, an inheritance is something tangible that's left upon one's uh, death. Property, finances, real estate, whatever. It's something that we physically may leave behind to our children or our grandchildren. But a heritage... It's something different because a heritage is something that we possess upon birth. It's those intangible things such as our ideals, our morals, our, our beliefs. Uh, I was talking to my wife and I says, uh, how would you describe heritage? And she says, it's who you are. It's your roots. It's what you're made up of. It's who you are on the inside. It's your DNA. And we tonight, uh, during this, this, this sermon series this month, it's so important that we grasp what, what God is trying to do because this sermon series is reminding us 
who we are, that we are the children of God, we are the people of God, and what God has deposited in us, he's deposited a new life, a righteousness, hope, excitement for the things of God. He's instilled within our lives these truths, and it's our responsibility that what we've received from God to transfer them into our children, to transfer them into the next generation. And it's so, so important that we do not fail when it comes to this responsibility. In the book of Judges, chapter two, it's the story about Joshua's generation. Now Joshua was, was raised up by Moses. And Joshua, it was placed upon him the, uh, the privilege to enter into the promised land. Joshua was raised up and he was given that task and he, he and his generation, they crossed uh, over to Jordan and they went into the promised land. Now Joshua's generation was young when they were leaving Egypt and they were young when they were in the wilderness and their parents and their grandparents, uh, they couldn't enter into that promised land but to Joshua's generation, it was given the privilege to enter into that promised land. Joshua's generation, they crossed over and they began to defeat the, the enemies and they began to seize the land and they began to have these experiences with God, experience after experience, victory after victory, they knew who God was, but they failed the next generation. Because the Bible says that the generation after them, they they knew not God, they knew not the Lord nor his works. It goes on to say that they did evil in the sight of God. And because they did evil in the sight of God, God gave them over to their enemies. And here we had this, this super generation that had awesome experiences with God, but they failed to transfer that to their sons and to their daughters. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray. Let's pray tonight. Father, we thank you to be in your presence, Father God. We thank you, Lord. Your spirit is here, and where your spirit is, there is liberty, your word says, Father. I ask and pray that you would encourage your people, Father, that you would encourage parents tonight, Father God, grandparents, spiritual parents, Father God, that, Lord, they would continue to to hold the line, my God, in instilling godly values and principles into the lives of their children, their grandchildren, into this next generation, Father God. Lord, we come against every strategy and every lie of the enemy, Father God. I ask that I decrease and you increase tonight, Father. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we all say... Amen. When we neglect, when we as parents neglect to exemplify the word of God, to live the word of God, to practice what we preach in our homes, what we do is we create a void. We create a void, and that void is going to be filled by competing worldviews. You say... What's a worldview? I've heard that word. It's, it's like the newest uh, buzz, buzz term. If, 
If you've been uh, part of any of our Relate uh, Home Bible Studies, last year we were talking about uh, worldviews. Simply what a worldview is, is how a person sees and understands the world, especially regarding issues such as politics, philosophy, or religion. Worldviews, they're formed by ideas, and those ideas are formed by influences, life experiences, our upbringing, our, our, our faith, or, or lack thereof, and even our education. We need people with ideas, healthy ideas, new ideas, fresh ideas. If you think about it, uh, the, the man that invented uh, peanut butter, George Washington Carver, right? He was a peanut farmer, and he had, he had a great, great idea. He figured, if I make a spread and put it on some toast and top it with some jelly, I'll have an awesome sandwich. And he did that, and we have peanut butter, right? I could live off of peanut butter and jelly. It's one of the greatest sandwiches ever. But you think about it, that started with an idea. When people have idea, new things get invented. Technologies get invented. Uh, A smartphone, right? They're so commonplace now, almost everyone has them. But you understand what we have in our pocket is a computer. And, and, if, and if we wanted to, we could, probably some of you are right now, Googling who invented peanut butter to see if it was George Washington Carver. But it, it came because somebody had an idea. Because of ideas, uh, new medicines and treatments and vaccines are discovered. Uh, our generation, we didn't have to deal with polio. Some don't even know what polio is. It's because it's been eradicated because of medicines and discoveries. Because of ideas... We have freedoms and rights. Here in the United States, we're, we're given certain rights, and these rights were ideas that men had, and they said that these rights and these freedoms, they come from God. They come from God, and that we are created in the image of God, and that because we are created in the image of God, we deserve to be free, free to worship God. Think about the internet, that invention, that idea, Whoever thought about connecting the world through a wide web revolutionized the world because it brought us out of the industrial age and brought us into the age of information. I was reading an article and it was talking about top 10, 20 uh, inventions that changed the world forever. And the internet was one of them, but also in that top five was the printing press. Uh, Johann Gutenberg, a German inventor, invented a printing press that could mass produce books and magazines and articles and whatever. And the very first book that he produced, it was the Bible. He produced, he, he, he printed a Bible. It used to be that if you wanted a copy of someone's Bible, you'd, you'd have to handwrite it yourself. So you'd borrow a Bible and two years later you would return it. And now he was able to uh, mass produce these Bibles and get them into the hands of people. And I believe with all my heart that there has been no book since or after like the Bible that has been able to influence uh, humanity. It's been able to change lives. It's been able to uh, revolutionize homes and marriages. And, And no other book has had such an influence 
upon you and I than the word of God. Theodore Roosevelt, he said, a thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. A thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. Can I say to those who are entering into college, who are in college right now, say you better have a thorough knowledge of the Bible. You better know your word. You better have an understanding of the word of God for your life. Because a lot of times what's going on now is that colleges are slowly become less, becoming less of a place of learning new ideas and learning a critical thinking. It's becoming more a place of indoctrination. Uh, leftist ideas, uh, uh, worldviews of, of, of secularism and, and humanism, uh, they're being indoctrinated, being taught to those that are going into these courses. Uh, I'm not against college. I want my children to go to college. I want, I want them to learn how to read, how to, how to read. they already know how to read. I want, to learn, I want them to learn how to uh, think critically. And, and uh, we were having a conversation, uh, Fernie and I, about this subject, and we were talking about that, and man, uh, I wish you all could have been in that conversation, because he was so spot on. He was saying, you know what, it's the responsibility of the parents to prepare their children for college. And, and not just in the terms of, you know, do they, uh, do they score well in their SATs and, and did they get their AP classes, but did they have that conversation? It's like, hey, you're going to experience things. People are going to come against your beliefs. They're going to come against what you believe. They're going to even mock the word of God. And you better know your word and you better be firm in your faith. Last, um, last month when Pastor Danny was preaching, he gave us a challenge. Anybody remember that challenge? 18 minute, 18 minute Bible challenge. It's no fair, but did you answer that, Pastor Danny? <laughs> you, you answered that, all right. 18 minute, he, he challenged every one of us that heard him. 18 minutes of our lives, not even 20. 18 minutes to study the word of God, to sit down and to read, a, and, to read and meditate on the word of God and to study it. 18 minutes. See, if we're going to prepare our children, if we're going to help guard them against secular worldviews, uh, we need to teach them how to think. We need to teach them how to think biblically. Uh, to think. I, I looked up the Oxford Dictionary's uh, uh, meaning, and it says, to direct one's mind towards someone or something. To use one's mind actively to form connected ideas. I like that. See, God has given each and every one of us a mind and the ability to think. The Bible says that we are to be sober-minded, right? That, that we are able to reason. When the Bible says, come now, let us reason with one another. We, we are to um, be conscious and count the costs of, or the consequences of our actions. And often what's being discussed now is feelings. Feelings. 
for a lot of people, truth has become relative. It's right for me, but it's not right for you. you know, or that might be good for you, and that might be your truth, but that's not my truth. And people are putting more emphasis on feelings. I, I was watching this internet video, and it was some protest. I don't know which ones, there's so many today. Uh, but um, these conservatives were debating with uh, these um, uh, um, left wing, I guess. And, and uh, they were, I don't know, even know what, the, what they were arguing about, but I remember one said, well, well these are the facts. And, and, and the girl in the video says, well, I don't believe in facts. And the guy says, well, how, how can you not believe in facts? This is the evidence. The facts say different than what you just said. She says, I don't believe in facts. I believe in feelings. She says, feelings are the only thing that's real nowadays. This is the mindset that she has, and, and it's not an uncommon mindset. It's becoming a very popular mindset. There is a philosopher, Rene Descartes, and he said, cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. But it's been replaced now with I feel, therefore I am. It's, we're, we're, this, we're living in a day and age where we're putting more emphasis on what we're feeling than what the truth is. And the Bible warns us about leaning on our feelings. The Bible warns us about trusting and relying on our feelings. In the book of Proverbs, chapter three, verse five, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Why is that? Because our feelings can be deceptive. Our feelings can deceive us. You know, I feel like I should really marry this person. And the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked. Yeah, but I love this person and I feel this connection towards this person. And that might be very well true, but let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. If the two of you are not equally yoked, there's going to be issues in your marriage. There's going to be issues in your spiritual life. This wasn't in my notes. We, we need a generation that, that knows their Bible. We need to raise up a generation of believers that knows their Bible. A, a generation of believers that could effectively, with grace, make a compelling argument to any non-believer or any atheist or any Muslim or any Hindu or any what, whoever, a compelling argument about the gospel of Jesus Christ and his plan for salvation. We need a generation that knows their word and that when they're confronted with a false doctrine or when they're confronted with a worldview that is skewed, they could say, this is what the Bible says. This is the truth of what God's word says. The book of 1 John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. 
the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you, also, that you may also have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. I, I, I like this scripture because here the author is saying, I'm not just telling you about somebody I've heard about. I'm not just telling you about an idea that I've heard, but I'm telling you about the word of God, Jesus Christ, that who I've seen and I've heard and I've felt and I've touched. It's an eyewitness declaring to another individual what they have seen and what they have heard. We don't trust the word of God because it makes us feel good, although we do feel good reading the word of God. We trust the word of God because it can be backed up and it can stand scrutiny. I like what this pastor uh, said. He says, I choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claim that their writings are divine rather than human in origin. I like what the late Nabil Qureshi said. This author, he's got an awesome testimony. He was a devout, he was a devout Muslim. And he in college had a roommate, a friend that was a born-again Christian. And this gentleman, Nabil, wanted to um, prove to this Christian why the Bible was false, why it had been compromised, and why Jesus wasn't the Son of God. He wasn't God, but he was just a mere man. And in his pursuit to contradict and, and to, uh, um, the Bible and to, and to prove and to discredit Jesus, he fell in love with Jesus and became a born-again Christian. And he says, the Gospels of Jesus were written shortly after the crucifixion of Jesus in the lifetime of the disciples. And that is far better than most biographies. For example, the main biographies of Alexander the Great were written around 400 years after his death. Can the Bible be trusted? It can. The Bible was written over a period of 14 to 1500 years by over 40 authors from three different continents, yet it is without contradiction and many events that were predicted hundreds to thousands of years in advance have come to pass. We need to teach our children when they say, when they come across someone and says, I don't believe in the Bible, it's just a book written by men. Do we have an answer? Proverbs chapter 15, 28. He says, the heart of the righteous studies to how to answer but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. Proverbs chapter 22, 17. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 15. The simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. Proverbs 9, 10. I have this written on my, uh, in my office. When people come in, they see that. 
uh, they see this scripture. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Church, we as a nation, we've forgotten the fear of the Lord, and we no longer have a knowledge of the Holy One. We don't have that fear of the Lord. We've forgotten the knowledge, and, and, and that's why worldviews are becoming so prevalent. And that's why they were celebrating in New York when they were signing that bill to uh, legalize uh, uh, abortion in the ninth month. They were cheering. They were clapping. This is a great thing, is what they were saying. Their worldviews have become skewed because we've forgotten the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of his Holy One. The, the governor in Virginia, they, they asked him, because uh, uh, they wanted to pass a similar law, and they, they asked him, can you clarify this? What if the baby is born? And, he's, and, 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 and he was saying that if the baby is born, we'll keep him comfortable until the mother decides. He was promoting infanticide. And, and yet, society got mad at him for some other things. It's because the worldview has, has been distorted. We need revival, church. We need revival. And our revival starts at home. It starts at home. We need to teach them to recognize worldviews that are contrary to God's word. George Barna, in partnership with Summit Ministries, they, uh, they did this um, uh, research concerning worldviews. Uh, and he's, they found that statistically, 17% of professing Christians hold a biblical worldview. 61% agree with ideas rooted in new spirituality. 54% resonate with postmodernistic views. 36% accept ideas associated with Marxism. And 29% believe that ideas based on secularism. And he's talking about Christians, okay, born-again Christians that claim to know and read their word. So often, uh, Christians, we uh, adhere to something that sounds spiritual but really isn't. I call these the Oprah sayings, right? Because Oprah is so wise and she always got all these sayings. But, but if you listen past it, you realize it's not accurate. I have some examples, quickly. Uh, and, and, and let me preface by saying that these examples have different influences and different worldviews, these, these statements. And I'm going to say these not to uh, uh, embarrass anybody because you might agree with some of them. You might think, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, I, I'm saying this not to embarrass or, or anything like that. I'm saying it just so we can see how prevalent uh, worldviews are infiltrating into the body of Christ. Love is love. Truth is relevant. What may be true for you may not necessarily be true for me. Each religion is true for those who practice it. Uh, meaning and purpose come from working hard to build a society that's equal for everyone. These are some of the things that our children are going to be hearing. Everyone must decide for themselves what their own meaning of purpose is. The concept of right and wrong must change as society evolves. Your beliefs are wrong if they hurt someone's feelings. Jesus spoke truth, and oftentimes it offended people. 
in the book of John chapter six, Jesus didn't speak the truth to offend. He didn't, he didn't speak to be offensive. But sometimes the truth, it offends us because it wakes us up to the reality that the way we're living is off. It, 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 the, the word of God is truth, and it offends sometimes because it, it causes us to, to realign ourselves and saying, man, I've been in sin. We need to make the argument for biblical standards, to argue for biblical standards. And when I say argue, I'm not meaning argumentative or combative, but we need to make the case. We need to make the case for biblical standards. In the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 10, verse 5, it says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Years ago, someone wrote a book uh, talking about it takes a village to raise a child. And what they were saying is they were advocating for a society which meets all of a child's needs. And on the surface, it's like, yeah, yeah, we do need to help raise each other's children. But the Bible says something different. In the book of Joel, chapter 1, verse 3, it says, tell your sons about it and let your sons tell their sons and their sons the next generation. Where does God put the responsibility of teaching our children the word of God? On the fathers. And if you're a single mom, you've got that responsibility. And God will give you grace. But he puts it at our doorstep. At our feet, he lays that responsibility. We need to teach our children that obedience to God stems from a relationship with God. It's not just because I said so. My son reminded me the other day, he, a while ago, that he wasn't four years old anymore. And it's because I was trying to give him affection. When he was four, I, I could tell him because I said so. But now that he's 15, I've got to explain to my son, son, these are the reasons why we have these standards in our home. Same with my daughters. These are the reasons why we have these standards. It's not because I said so, it's because we love God. Because obedience to God yields fruit, and, 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 and it yields. See, uh, we are accountable. We're accountable. Uh, books, book of Proverbs, chapter 27, verse 23. He says, know well the condition of your flocks and pay attention to your herds. Pay attention. What's going on in our homes? We're accountable to God. One day we're going to stand before God and he's going to ask us about how we raised our children. Did we impart into our children godly standards and the word of God and morals and values? We're accountable to our children. Thank God my children have never seen me drunk. They don't, they don't know that, Manny. Praise God. But... But my children have seen me angry and unreasonable. And so they've also had to see me repent and ask God for forgiveness and ask them for forgiveness. 
we are accountable for what comes into our homes. And it's a fight. It's a fight because worldviews are so prevalent. It's prevalent through media, social media, music, movies, cartoons, you name it, there's an influence there. And we, we gotta be mindful and careful of what we're allowing into our homes. The Bible says that we're not, we're not to be ignorant of the devil's devices. All right, closing pretty soon here. We need to stay on top, church. As parents, as leaders, we need to stay on top. First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. Of the sons of Ishkar, men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. Okay. We need to understand the times that we're in and that they've, they're, they're changing. We need to, just like these men that had knowledge of what they should do, well, our, our knowledge comes in seeking the face of God, in, 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 in prayer, in, in reading, you know, in, in fasting. George Barna, in that article, I'm going to quote, says, the challenge with competing worldviews is that there are fragments of similarities to some Christian teachings. And some may recognize and latch on to these ideas, not realizing that they are distortions of biblical truth. I told you they sound good. They sound right. The call for the church and its teachers and thinkers is to help Christians dissect popular beliefs before allowing them to settle in their own ideology. Informed thinking is essential to developing and maintaining a healthy biblical worldview and faith as well as being able to have productive dialogue with those who espouse other beliefs. You and I and our children, we're going to come across people that do not believe what we believe. We don't shut them out because of that. But we learn how to speak to them and how to convey the gospel of hope, the gospel of love, the gospel of forgiveness, the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And let God begin to change that mind and let God begin to renew them and let God begin to work in them and let God begin to sanctify and clear them. I came in thinking all sorts of things but it was the study of the word of God and it was prayer that my mind became renewed and is daily being renewed. Amen. As, uh, as our worship team comes up, book of Proverbs, chapter 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We need to minister to our children Encourage them, guide them, teach them. We are their coach, right? their trainer. We're in their corner. Just like Brother Matt was saying, those words of encouragement, son, daughter, have faith that you'll pull through, seek God. Those words that lift up and build up, we, we can't fr- spiritually frustrate our children. This is how it's gonna be. And if you don't like it, hard, man. I've said it. The grace that God has given us, 
right? We need to extend that to our children. The patience God has given us when he's teaching us life lessons. We need to be patient with our children. The love, but the firmness that God has shown us when we've done wrong, we need, we need to show that to our children. We forget that our children are children. They're not little adults. So we gotta get at their level sometimes, whether they're babies or teenagers or even young adults. Ephesians 6, 4, it says, And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in training and admonition of the Lord. That word admonition is authoritative counsel or warning. And lastly, we need to pray and fast for our children. We need to stand in the gap. The book of Ezekiel, God was asking, is there anyone that will stand in the gap? Is there anyone that will stand in the gap? Ezekiel 22, verses 30 to 31. And, and, and fathers, this is a call to arms. This is a call to arms. Uh, it, it, the burden is on us. We carry this burden to raise our children, to train them. At least, that's the way I interpret the word. Our children are going to face ideas and worldviews that you and I are, would never have imagined we would have to face. We've never had to face. The things my son and my daughters have to deal with in this day and age, I wasn't dealing with when I was their age. I was dealing with not getting caught sneaking out of the house. They got to deal with all sorts of distortions and perversions of what's truth and what's not. Thank God for grace. Thank God for his word. Thank God he's never leaving us nor forsaken us. And that we're partnering with God. We're partnering with his Holy Spirit. Because before they're our kids, they're his kids. And he loves them way more than... You and I could ever love our kids, and I love my kids a lot. God loves them more. And that's why he's going to help you and I uh, in, in, this, in this battle, in this lucha that we're in. Amen. Let's pray.